Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And we are recording this, what's today? Uh, the, the 22nd, 22nd of June. Yeah, June 22nd. So, so we've been to Dev Intersection and back. We have. It was it was kind of weird, wasn't it? It was strange. I, I told you you knew, but I got real emotional on stage. I was surprised how much it affected me. Yeah, I've never seen you thank the audience for coming four times in a row and almost cried. <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, we made a show. I think we were one of the first to do an in-person show. Yeah, uh, in in post in this in this almost post-pandemic time, and people so were so ready it, for it too. Yeah, I'm with you. The speakers were super excited. Um, the attendees were really interesting. You know, they, they it was a real interesting mix of people. Everyone was very kind to each other. We we kept we wore masks in the hallways. We had the rooms spaced out properly. Like lots of little details to make everything work. But I'm still in quarantine. I came back into Canada and I'm required to quarantine for 14 days. And I don't know how U.S. laws work, but if I went to Canada for a conference, would I have to quarantine? You probably know more about this than I do. I'd probably have to yeah, quarantine I, a, as well. Yeah, I don't know that you could get in at all. They're pretty restrictive right oh, yeah, now. Yeah. Uh, and B, uh, yes, you would. You would have to quarantine for 14 yeah. days. And, you know, would that's you make okay. It, yeah. And, does I mean, it you know, depend I, what breed he is as well? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, the big debate right now is vaccinations, right? Is that fully vaccinated people should be able to cross? The problem is that different countries recognize different vaccines. Mm. And so an example of this is the FDA has not given emergency approval to the AstraZeneca vaccine right. yet. They're not using it in the United States. But they're thinking. But they are, in the, U uh, uh, they are in the UK and in Canada. But we're right? fixing to use it. <laughs> Very American thing. So, yeah. but, and, and even more interestingly, here in Canada, we are mixing vaccines. Mm. So, I've got one dose of AstraZeneca and one dose of Pfizer. That's interesting. Right? And that's considered vaccinated in Canada, but I don't know to be considered vaccinated in a lot of other countries. Mm. So, you know, this is the complexity we're now going to face. Right. With so what, I, I, I had similar. I had one, one uh, vaccine of um, AstraZeneca and one of gin. <laughs> nice. Uh, well, if if gin counts, I've been vaccinated a lot lately. <laughs> Holy man. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was the voice of Dan North, our guest, and we're going to talk to him in a few minutes. But uh, first, let's get started with a little thing we call Better Know a Framework. Awesome. All right, man. What do you got? All right. Well... If you don't know, Better Know Framework is this little thing that I started doing. I don't even remember how long ago, but uh, at the beginning of the show, I wanted to highlight a little section of the .NET Framework. It's way before .NET Core, maybe a namespace, maybe a, a class, um, some little part of the framework. And I got through that fairly quickly and then just started going out and finding things on the internet. So basically, it's, you know, somebody said, Carl Google's something 15 minutes before going on the air. <laughs> and that's not true. He's done it five have, minutes before. Yeah. It's not that <laughs> bad. But uh, but anyway, this is something that I did. And weirdly, Richard was a part of it. So this is episode 1745. So 1745.pwop.me. And so this is an episode of the .NET show, which is sort of a new thing that I'm doing focused on right now, focused on Xamarin Forms and Maui, but, you know, going forward, focused on all things .NET. It's not going to be every week. 
Uh, I intersperse it with Blazor Train for a weekly. You get something every week, but it's one or the other. And this is um, episode five, and it's .NET Maui Blazor. Uh, Jonathan Dick did a demo of building a .NET Maui app in .NET 6 Preview 4, but using a combination of XAML and Blazor. Hmm. And the thing is, is that people just... It looks a lot like me. That's what's weird. Well, okay, yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> so the, the, the thing about this show is I've started by animating um, uh, portraits from history of people I admire. So you got George Washington, you've got Abraham Lincoln, you've got uh, this last one, the one before you, Richard, was uh, um, Samuel Clemens, Mark Twain. Mm-hmm. And I just asked Richard, I said, hey, can I animate you for an episode of the of the .NET show? And he says, yeah, sure, what the heck, I've been animated before. And so, uh, you know, I start out by saying, hi, I'm Carl Franklin, but it's actually Richard that's doing the talking. So I'm just glad you're not doing the South Park Canadian flappy head thing. Like, that was an improvement. Uh, I could. Because I've seen that happen, too. I could do that. <laughs> I think what I'm going to do is just find a picture of me and animate me. Uh, Or just take it all off altogether. It was just, you know, my friends are like, what's with the presidents? I don't understand. I don't get it. Like, I'm some kind of artiste. Like, I'm making a statement, you know? It's like, no, I just want people to go, what the hell is that? Yeah. (laughs) What what are you doing? Yeah, no, if you use Grover Cleveland, then they're going to go, what the hell is that? But George Washington, it's kind of obvious, really. Yeah, and I quickly realized that I'm going to run out of politically acceptable figures from history before somebody gets mad, right? So you're you're just taking American leaders Uh, and you're kind of fixing their faces. Yeah, so um, first of all- Isn't that setting a precedent? Winston Churchill was on there as well. Right. So setting okay. a president, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, what I'm using is a tool called Crazy Talk. And it's this $100 program that you basically start with a face. It can be a painting, it can be a portrait. It's better if they're, it's emotionless, you know, better if they're not wearing glasses. And you basically put the points on the face and, you know, draw the lines and all that. And then you load up an audio file and it, animates the face to to do the speaking and it does weird things like occasionally blinks it sort of moves the face around a little bit like people do when they're not talking it's a little creepy but i thought you know i don't know it's a gimmick it might get people to watch the show or at least talk about it i think it's quite a bit creepy but amusing yeah it's amusing and it's kind of like the most obvious deep fake ever you know Hey, this is a yet, deep. It's amazing fake. how often people miss that. Right. right? It's actually. A if I'm fake. making any kind of point at all, it's like, okay, this is not a deep fake, folks. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a shallow fake shallow you're fake. making. Yeah. That's what it is. It's a shallow fake. That's a good description. It's a paddling fake. Well, anyway. Anyway, but there's a, but there's a Maui demo in there somewhere. Yes. And the thing that people just don't understand, like the question was, the biggest question was like, okay, so I know that when I'm doing Xamarin Forms, I have to do I notify property change to make binding work. How do I do that in Blazor? And the answer is you don't. You use the Blazor mm. programming model, which has all the eventing and all the ways that events are handled in Blazor, and you don't have to do that. You get, um, you know, state has changed, just like you do in any Blazor app. But you can, here's the thing, folks, you can build these cross-platform Maui apps using everything Blazor, including the binding and eventing. 
hello. <laughs> right. So, you know, XAML is not your thing and you don't want to learn yet another flavor of Xamarin Forms XAML or whatever it is. You've been doing Blazor. Now you can use that to build cross-platform apps. Well, come November. So it's very awesome. exciting. Yeah, it's good times without that. Okay. Well, that's what I got today, Richard. Is somebody okay. talking to us? Always. Um, but I grabbed a particular comment, relatively recent. This is from one of the shows with Mark Seaman. This is 1685, the one we did with Mark talking about there is a silver bullet in the reference to uh, Fred Book's essay from the 80s right. called No Silver Bullet. And I, we, we're going to have Mark back on the show soon anyway, but I wanted to grab this comment because he's got a new book coming out and I'm really excited to read oh, it. Oh, me too. Um, he's a great writer. Uh, and you remember they, what he, you know, the, the no silver bullet essay from Brooks was sort of saying like, listen, there's no shortcuts to making good software. Like the work is the work. Right. It's worth doing it correctly. And Mark was making the point that, but we have had major sea changes in the way software is made. Right that effectively are silver bullets, but they're so ubiquitous, we forget. And the, the scenario we painted was obviously the internet. The fact that we've eliminated the cost of deployment of software, that a lot of the practices around software in the old days where you had to print CDs and DVDs and ship them out meant that fixes were hugely expensive uh, because you had to reship all of those things. And since eliminating that, we've really changed the way we build software. And some would say... For the worse, right? That we ship far more beta software out and let it be tested on customers because it's cost us nothing to roll out updates. Well, we can do that. And some of us yes. do do that. But we should do. we do that? Should, I don't yeah. think so. Yeah, well, or to a degree, right? It's the, There's testing and then there's testing. Anyway, this particular comment comes from Ida Ryan. This is from about, about a year ago where he says, I enjoyed this episode a lot. Fred Brooks's Silver Bullet is such a seminal essay. I haven't read it for years and I must revisit it. But your points were especially relevant regarding internet and the uh, CICD pipelines. Your discussion of how software was distributed pre-internet brought me back to a distribution-related incident in the mid-90s. The Irish company I was programming for was having trouble with the latest release of software for a large UK company. One of the developers was sent to England on the ferry with a floppy disk that was supposed to contain the latest code. Oh, no. When he arrived, surprise, the disk was blank. This dubious management-mandated tactic brought us the rest of us a couple of days of frantic refinishing the work. My colleague traveled back, picked up the floppy with the actual code on it, and trekked back to the UK again via a four-hour ferry journey and an eight-hour train journey to deliver the goods. You couldn't do that with your newfangled internet. I told the story of when we were trying, uh, during the Fukushima crisis, I was working with a company in Tokyo mm. that was trying to sync their exchange server to a site in Okinawa. And I actually did the math on how much data was in that exchange server and said, listen, I can get on an airplane, yeah. fly to Tokyo, buy some terabyte hard drives, copy them, fly to Okinawa, and install them before you're going to finish that file That's transfer. Right. You dropped a couple of orders of magnitude, like you're doing the math wrong. I, I have to interject. I have to interject with the story from this last weekend. I was hired to mm -hmm. produce um, a live streamed conference that was, get this, over two days and in three different time zones. And not simultaneously. Oh, nice. They all started at 9 a.m. in their time zone. So it rendered a lot of data. And at the end, the person who was, you know, in charge of the YouTube video said, can you just put all that content together in one long file? Oh, and by the way, 
I'm bandwidth constrained, so can you make sure it's under a gig? (laughs) (laughs) So, first um, of all, Adobe Premiere only allows you 24 hours of length for any timeline. So it was right. over. The- I love that 24 hours is prefaced with only. Yeah, only 24 only, hours. Yeah. <laughs> so it, I don't even think YouTube will let you uh, let you upload anything that long as a video. And, and no. why would anyone want to watch a 25-hour YouTube video? Yikes. So anyway, we ended up splitting it into files, different files. But, but yeah, Obviously. sometimes you just take for granted when you have a lot of data that you can't just like, you know, upload it. Yeah. It work it works both ways and I and I appreciate that. So Ida, thank you so much for your comment. A copy of Music to Code by it's on its way to you. And if you'd like a copy of Music to Code by, write a comment on the website at rocks.com or on the Facebooks. We publish every show there as well. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a copy of Music to Code by. And definitely follow us on Twitter. He's at Rich Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. Send us a tweet, but make sure it's under a gig. <laughs> and can I just say, can I just say as as a guest on your show that's never canned. You both say that every time, and every time yep. it's live, and it is so slick. I am in <laughs> awe. <laughs> I am in well, awe. You, you, of the, so if you do the same the, thing like a, like a thousand, <laughs> fifteen hundred times or so, you get pretty smooth at it. Burned into my frontal lobe. <laughs> yeah. Um, ju- just one thing on that last comment. There are there are companies who weave that into their USP. So I think it's Crash Plan that does the backup software, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and it's it's often used by like photographers, professional photographers, and they've got typically eye watering amounts of stuff before they think about backups, and they have as part of their onboarding, you, know, you have your so many terabyte plan or whatever. When when you sign up, you tell them how much data they have you have, and they send you through the physical mail enough hard drives for you to copy all of your stuff onto and mail back to them. It's almost certainly cheaper for them. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, you know, four weeks later, your, your catalog's still uploading. Right. Yeah. And your ISP has cut you off and, you know. Well, <laughs> persona non grata. Do we even need to introduce I know, I, I just, uh, uh, I, Sorry, I just gatecrashed your intro. That's so rude. It's part of our show. It's fine. Just one other story. Back in the 90s when I was uh, before the cloud, uh, I had a co-located server at a local ISP who was a friend of mine, actually. And um, the the owner of the ISP said, hey, uh, we're going to be – one of our customers is going to be doing some reporting. Um, not sure if it's going to impact you or, or not. And I said, sure, go ahead. It was an NT4 server, I think, mm-hmm. and ASP, and all of a sudden, my website was down, and I was like, what the heck is going on? I called the ISP. He's like, yeah, they're like running a report or something, and I said, can I see that code? And it was like a tight <laughs> loop in ASP that, that was going chewing through all these records and spitting out a web page, and it was running for hours. Wow. And it just took that machine to its knees. <laughs> and that's that, that's in a time when waiting hours for a web page was a long time. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Back, Back then. then. Those good old Back days. Then. All right. Well, uh, I will give Dan a formal introduction based on his probably seven-year-old bio, but I think it's pretty- <laughs> <laughs> my, my 10-year-old photos. I, I think it's pretty much mm-hmm. accurate now, but you tell me, okay, Dan? Uh, Dan North uses his deep technical and organizational knowledge to help CIOs, business, and software teams to deliver 
quickly and successfully. He puts people first and finds simple, pragmatic solutions to business and technical problems, often using lean and agile techniques. With 30, 40 years of experience? 40? <laughs> so, so let's go with 30. All right, let's we'll go, go with 30. 30. With 30 years of experience in <laughs> 30 <laughs> With 30 odd years of experience in IT, Dan is a frequent speaker at technology and business conferences worldwide. The originator of Behavior Driven Development, BDD, and Deliberate Discovery, DD. Dan has published feature articles in numerous software and business publications and contributed to the RSpec book, Behavior Driven Development with RSpec, Cucumber, and Friends, and 97 Things Every Programmer Should Know, Collective Wisdom from the Experts. And he occasionally blogs at dannorth.net slash blog. Welcome back, Dan. Thanks so much for having me back. You're welcome so much. This is your eighth episode, sir. I'm, 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 I'm desperately sad that this isn't taking place either at a conference or well, yeah. in a in a small apartment size Winnebago in a parking lot. Actually, next time <laughs> next time we come to London, we'll have to go to a pub and record yes. in a pub. Maybe, maybe shoot there. Yeah, I would love Probably that. Bring an H six, just stick it in the middle of the table. Just because everybody's ah. sick of being home on Zoom and everything else. It has Absolutely. been ten years. But your what we'll your need first to do. show with us was at Ordev in Malmo. Wow! In 2011, so it's been ten years. This is a decade. I, 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 I yeah, was, yeah. I was astonished, delighted, and astonished when you opened this show and you said this is 1700 and something yeah. show. Right. Yeah. I'm like your, your, your show numbers. You realize there's going to be a point at which your show number matches the year, and you're going <laughs> to have to do something <laughs> special for That's that gonna show. That's going to be interesting times. Um, I don't know what the party is for show 2000. Yeah. (laughs) Well, we're doing one a week right now. So, you know, 52 shows a year. Uh, I mean, I don't know what to do for show 1800. Goodness knows what do we do for show 2000. (laughs) That's that's crazy talk. Nobody does 2000 shows. But it's it's COVID time. It's all distended anyway. It's still March 2020. It's March 375. (laughs) (laughs) So, Cupid. Chop back your bow and your arrow go. What the hell is Cupid? Um, so, uh, as, <laughs> we, as, as, as with most things. Rocks. Yeah. <laughs> that wasn't a blunt se- segue at all. Well, I don't know what you're talking about. It, it felt completely natural yeah, to I me. I, 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 I felt I just, we just drifted into that. Speaking so. of non sequiturs, <laughs> what's Cupid? <laughs> But we weren't speaking of, oh, wait, wait, I see what you did there. <laughs> who, who mentioned that? I'm not, I'm not wearing any sequins. I changed that shirt. So, <clears throat> so yeah, a, a few years ago, um, I, I uh, and in fact, you, it's, a, it's a, an event you know very well, NDC in, in, in London and Oslo. Um, there's a chap called um, Dylan Beatty, who I imagine has been on on. DNR a number mm-hmm, of times yep. um, with and without musical instruments. Uh, um, so, so he, he runs a, a, an after show mini conference called PubConf, which is as silly as it sounds. It takes place in a pub. All the, t- all the tickets are raffled. So you can't buy a ticket to PubConf. You just got to put your name in. And the idea is, is if you couldn't get into the main conference, like either the tickets are too expensive or they sold out or whatever. So you go to this pub conf and they have a series of very silly talks. So they're all five minute ignite talks, you know, 15 seconds per slide, 20 slides, five minutes, auto advance. 
and you have he what he does is he 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 um uh hijacks a number of speakers he just kidnaps a bunch of speakers from the conference <laughs> and and frog marches us to to the to the pub and we go willingly and forces us to do talks and then um you know and then there's there, there's some sort of really badly organized voting system where people scream and shout and cheer and throw beer and stuff and 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 if you get loud enough cheers you get to see your family again <laughs> <laughs> which is nice so so anyway so he invited me along to to one of the early iterations of pubconf and he said so we need you to do a five minute talk uh and i thought okay and at the time something had been going on i don't remember exactly but i was um having opinions about solid so solid is uh bob martin Robert C. Martin, um, who who convened the bunch of middle-aged white guys who wrote the Agile Manifesto. Yeah. So so he's you know, he's been very, very entrenched in the Agile world. And he's been talking about software craftsmanship and software like clean code and that kind of stuff. He take, he, he's very into his code. Yeah. And he has a whole slew of, of uh, principles and, and things that he thinks are, are good ways to write software. And Mike Feathers, uh, lovely, lovely Mike Feathers of uh, Legacy Code fame. He noticed that the first five of these of these uh, acronym of these um, uh, principles, if you if you change the order a little bit, spelt solid. So solid then became a thing, and solid is this set of five principles, including things like single responsibility and dependency inversion and stuff. Um, that were kind of touted as 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 the the uh, epitome of, of clean code. Uh, and I was looking at these and, and I was scratching my head and I was thinking, and not in a kind of they're, they're rubbish kind of way. I'm not, you know, I'm not knocking them. It just occurred to me that they're kind of, they're kind of just there. They're like neither necessary nor sufficient for good code. Mm. So I can, I can look at code that does not have S or O or L or I or D um, characteristics and it's fine. Right. And likewise, I can look at code that has all of those characteristics and is still a mess. Right. So, um, is it worth quickly doing the doing the five? Is it quickly mentioning I, I, you them? Know, or? You say you don't. Mm -hmm. You're not hating on it. However, I'm looking at a blog post where you start out by saying why every single element of solid is wrong. I'm exactly. Sure that's, so. uh, I'm not hating on it. Kind of. You are kind so, of. So <laughs> what I needed, what I needed clearly says Dylan is an inflammatory title yeah. for my ignite talk. <laughs> So I went with why every single element of solid is wrong. <laughs> and it wasn't just clickbait. It was, um, I'm lazy, right? And, and what I figured is there's five principles. If I say, well, one slide to introduce the principle, one slide to say why I, why I don't agree with it or where it goes wrong or whatever, and a third to say what I do instead. I figured that times five, that's 15 slides. Top and tail it, I'm done. So, so basically, I had a, a five-minute talk that wrote itself. Okay. So that only works if I decide that all five elements are wrong. So, yes, yeah, so you have uh, single responsibility. You have open close. You have list of substitutability. You have uh, interface segregation, and you have dependency inversion. I, I, I'm really surprised I got five. All right. I, I'm, I'm very happy about that. <laughs> very good. So, <laughs> and in order. <laughs> and you know, well, well, so so luckily, I had a cue, which is which is the acronym. Um, so so for each of these, I basically said, "This is why I think it just doesn't make sense." And not it's bad or it's wrong; it just it doesn't make sense now. It may have been a good idea you know, twenty odd years ago, 
um, or back in the kind of the, the golden age of OO, if you like, which is kind of the, the 80s and 90s. Um, but then, you know, even something like, so, so the one I had the most trouble with was Liskov substitutability because Barbara Liskov is a genius. Um, and, and it's pretty obvious, right? If you're going to have something right. that you're going to substitute, it should kind of do your similar sort of thing. Except that mostly nowadays, even, even in OO languages, what I see mostly is composition rather than inheritance. And there's right. been very much a change in, um, uh, aesthetic, if you like, of sort of programming style that people generally make small pieces, make them work together, compose them. And so having as if you're going to only have five things, having as one of them how to do inheritance right, <laughs> just seems a bit redundant. <laughs> and, and, and so, and so how, how to do something that is no longer useful well. Let me jump in, if I may. Yep. Because the substitution principle says that if you're – and just correct me if I'm wrong – if you're going to substitute, let's say, an object with another object, you should pretty much do the same thing, right? Uh, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so what if you're using the repository pattern? Does that work? I mean, the whole idea behind a repository is you have an interface and you have different implementations based on maybe you're talking to different backends, right? Maybe you're talking to – so what they actually do is completely different, but within the context of the app, they're doing the same thing, maybe data persistence, you would say. Right? Is that well? Does now, that so, 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 so th this this is what what you've hit on is a popular misunderstanding of um, LSP. Okay. So Barbara Liskov is talking about subtypes. She's talking about type systems and subtyping, okay. not necessarily subclasses or implementations of things. And in actual fact, so Alistair, I, I'm, I'm not going to do it justice here. Alistair Coburn basically destroyed this argument on, on the Twitters. He did a, in, in his very inimitable kind of, you know, calm, friendly, humorous way. He just said, look, this is completely silly. Yeah. And, and it turns out that the original LSP kind of paper, and I haven't read this because I, I don't do the kind of, uh, voracious academic consuming of stuff that, that Alistair does. Um, but the original paper was that was, almost like a deliberate falsification. It was saying, you know, even if you have subtyping, something as obvious as substitutability is impossible for exactly the reason you just said, Carl. Like, if, if I'm going to substitute it, I'm substituting it because I want it to do different. something different. Yeah. Right? <laughs> if, 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 I, if, if you're saying that doing something different does not make it a legitimate subtype, we can't have nice things <laughs> this is why <laughs> we can't <laughs> i can't i can't stub out my repository and then go and get stuff out of the cloud right. <laughs> because because lsp so so the whole thing is this kind of circular argument that says yeah that's that doesn't make sense and and anyway again you know i'll go back to my if i've only got five if i'm only allowed to have five things why, why, why would I get down the rat hole of, of type systems as one of them? <laughs> right. You know, I remember this presentation, and I think the thing you hit on hard several times in that was write simple code. Yes, yes, write simple code. Right, like everything you've described here typically comes back to, you know, if you write simple code. A lot of this goes away. And so, for instance, then there's one of them, which is the interface segregation thing. And, and, mm -hmm. I, and I did, I did go to the, the source with this and, and it's, uh, Bob Martin. He's writing an article about a, it was a printing system he was working on 
And there was a, a class called Job, and Job did everything, right? It was this kind of God class. God object, yeah. It was a God object, yeah. exactly. And so what they said is, well, you know, we want to kind of understand the various different responsibilities that this Job God object that has. And so they looked at various – where it was being used – and wherever job was being used, they found that sets of methods would be used together. Right. And they said, okay, well, look, what we can do is we can wrap each of those sets of methods in an interface. So it's much more intention revealing. So job as a print queue entry, job as accounting thing, job mm -hmm. as page data, right? Etc. And so, and so they had these various different, different things it could be. Right. And, and they said, you know, if you've got a large class, with many, many objects, with many, many methods, um, you, you know, having lots of small interfaces is better. And so, so my response was, well, anything's better. That's a stupid place to be. Right? <laughs> right. So Don't have a I'd much rather have principles that say, I'd much rather have principles that say how not to get into a big hole rather than a principle that says, when you're in a big hole, stop digging. <laughs> you know, or when you're in a big hole, start digging small steps to get your way out of there and call each one an interface, right? right? Thanks. That's really useful advice for a problem I hope never to have by following your principles of clean code. It's like breaking your arm in sports and somebody saying, don't do that. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you what, it, you, you'll be a much better pitcher if you don't have if a broken arm. If you don't arm. have a broken arm, you can pitch much better. <laughs> oh, that should be one of our five principles, Thanks, right? <laughs> don't, not having a broken arm is better. Yes. We'll call that the not broken arm principle. So I call this the stable door principle. I'm like, the horse is gone. The horse is long, long gone. <laughs> we really need to you've fix got this that gone stable class, door. Right? Okay, well done. Well, you've closed the stable door better than the next. Right. person that that was that was that was epic <laughs> fantastic and gentlemen i'm going to interrupt for one moment for this very important message have you ever tried a headless cms it seems nice and shiny at first getting content from an api cool but as soon as you need something specific you can quickly get lost in endless documentation or worse find out it can't be done not with kentico content it comes with a .NET SDK and a central class, the Delivery Client. You get the Delivery Client by instantiating with your project ID or via dependency injection, and you're ready to get data. Filtering, ordering, selecting, limiting, everything available in fluent syntax. Just type a dot and see. If you've ever used Link, you'll know how that works. As a response, you get a fully typed object. The .NET POCO classes that correspond to your content types in the headless CMS are generated automatically, either when you need it or when you build your own application. And they're partials, so you can extend them without losing your changes on the next build. Visit content.ai slash developers. That's K-O-N-T-E-N-T dot A-I slash developers and check out the .NET code samples. You can sign up with a credit card for a full featured trial or use a free developer plan. And we're back. It's .NET Rocks. I'm Richard Campbell. That's Carl Franklin. Heyo. And we're talking to our friend Dan North about Cupid. We haven't well, said we haven't got to Cupid yet. We're, we're still destroying solid. solid. Right. So, yes. We're, so, we're so, jumping up and down. Solid, solid is becoming a wet so, puddle. <laughs> <laughs> but but so, and, and again, this is my point: is that is that none of this is bad advice for them. What I'm saying is it's it's at best no longer useful advice for now. 
and, and, and possibly like actually harmful. You know, like, and, and, and you see this not necessarily technically, but if you look at this, uh, one, one anecdote I had from a number of different people was where the new kid joins the, the, the team, the project, the code base, and they're fresh out of school or whatever. And it's their first job. And, and they are basically, they are the solid police. And they come in right. and they look at the code base and go, oh, that code, <clears throat> that, that class has more than one responsibility, mm. right? It doesn't have a single responsibility. You are violating, you are violating the single responsibility pro, uh, principle. Like this code needs to be taken outside. And you're like, dude, <laughs> you, it's usually a you dude. You violated dude. my yeah. farting rights. <laughs> why, <laughs> why, why, why are you being all shouty? And, and so it creates this kind of militancy. And, and especially in something that is, that is, um, it's ambiguous in the first place. Like, what, what is right. a responsibility? Yeah. And then it says, well, I should have one reason to change. And I'm like, you can give me a single line of code and I can give you 15 reasons why that code might change. Yep. That's a silly requirement. Yeah. <laughs> it's a silly constraint. But I mean, so, you're, you're, people using those principles as a bludgeon to attack code aren't useful. And, you know, it's almost like it's an excuse system for not just focusing on providing value to customers. Well, and, and I, I would go further. I would say that if if the principles you're working on, if it's that hard to apply them well, they may mm-hmm. not be particularly either well-articulated or useful principles. Mm-hmm. Okay. So. Yeah, no, that's fair, fair. Remember, remember, this was a five-minute lightning talk mm-hmm. for, for yes. played we're, for last. We're, we're 30 minutes into your five-minute Was Uncle talk. Bob in the audience? No, no. And and, and this, this is where it gets a little bit hilarious because then, anyway, so so it, the, the feedback was great. It went really well. Um, the They weren't doing awards at that point. Like, you know, I get prizes for PubCogs. Yeah. I, I, I like to think I would have got a prize, but I didn't. <laughs> but but uh, you know the, the the folks that were there remember it fondly, and it's gone a, it's gone a little bit Andy Warhol. So you know <laughs> people go oh I, I remember I was at PubConf when when Dan gave that talk. I'm like you're about the 200th. <laughs> I'm not sure there were that many people in the pub. <laughs> right. So but apparently a lot of people claim to have been at the talk in the pub, and I only did it one mm-hmm. time. Um, but then then gentlemen, I made the fatal mistake of putting the slides online. I put them up on. Why would on, you do on, that? I thought I know. Stay, I know. Pub gun stays above gun. <laughs> I, well, so so and exactly that is actually a rule. I just let me just reiterate what happens at PubConf stays at PubConf. Um, it's not nothing's recorded, right? It's not right. recorded. So so I put the, the put the slides online uh, because someone asked me to. I think. Anyway, the next thing I know, the software craftsmen are like baying at oh, my door with pitchforks and arms. Oh yes. my goodness! How one dare person, you attack my one fundamentals. person. Seriously, they they wrote a blog post called "Why Every Element of Dan North Is Wrong." Oh man! <laughs> no, but it is the best thing. Is it's this massive self-own because this every single criticism he levels at me, he makes that same thing in his blog post. Ah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's just this beautiful that's wonderful like litany of self-owning wow. so um, but yeah no, so people got quite cross and emotional and stuff up to and including someone asked you know, sent an email Bob and said you know, Dan said this stuff about what, what do you think so he wrote a blog post based on having read some slides on the internet with no context didn't right. contact me mm. right I, I, I would have happily spoken to him about this stuff didn't contact me 
anyway, said that he didn't agree with a bunch of stuff and that I clearly didn't understand a bunch of solid. So that's, there's, that's there. And, um, <clears throat> and, and so I, I just kind of let it go. And, and every now and then it flares up a little bit on the Twitters and, and, you know, in the, in the way that, you know, things do. And then it goes away, but I leave it there because it's amusing. So, uh, fast forward to February of this year and some folks, the wonderful, um, Extreme Tuesday Club, XTC, are having uh, a meetup. So they're not in a pub in London. Sadly, they're on, on all at home on, on Zoom. Um, and the topic is solid. And one of the organizers, Phil Nash, uh, says, uh, contacts me and said, look, you know, you did this thing a while back and we all went, hee, hee, hee. And, and we're talking about solid and it'd be cool if you could rock up and have an opinion. So I said, great. And then he gave me a really good challenge. He said, you, you said you weren't a fan of it. I said, yep. They said, well, what would you replace it with? Like, oh, that's a really good challenge. Right. Right? If, if we're not going to have solid, you know, and, and that leads to the broader question, are there, you know, are there a bunch of universal principles for software? Mm-hmm. Right. Are there some things where you to say, if you make your software more X, then, then it's going to be better software. Right. Right. And so I kind of noodle on this and it's, it, to be fair, it's been one of these sort of background processes for a really long time anyway, for me, like what, what makes software just pleasant. So I turned up at this, at this, um, uh, meetup kind of prepared and, and I had an acronym and I deliberately didn't want it to be. Well, so what I thought initially was I would look at each element of you know, SOLID and basically what would I replace it with? And I realized that I don't think like that, or rather they're, they're not structured in that way. There's not a thing. It's not like on a particular axis and I would frame it differently. It's like I just don't think they're particularly useful axes. So I said, okay, starting over, what would I do? And, and, it, and it is a backronym. It was deliberately structured to spell a word. It was, that, it was February, so we just had Valentine's Day. So I thought mine's going to spell Cupid. And I, 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 had, I had four of the letters, and I said, then I had to struggle with one of the letters. And there were a number of candidates, but I ended up settling on one. <clears throat> so, so I pitched Cupid to, to the, the assembled throng. And, and there were, there were some folks there who I really do kind of, um, look up to. You know, I really value and respect their opinion about stuff, particularly technical stuff. And their feedback for my Cupid principle, like my Cupid uh, properties was, we really like those and we think that's a really good articulation of some stuff we've been saying as well. And that gave me a really kind of, you know, I, I kind of went in, I'll be honest, I went in sort of partly tongue in cheek. You know, this was a, a one hit mm-hmm. thing, but the feedback I got, I was like, okay, do you know what? I think I'm just going to see where this goes. And, <clears throat> and in particular, Kevin Henney was on the call. Um, and he's done a ton of really interesting thinking and speaking about, um, uh, solid o- over the mm. years and uh, some of which I've seen some of which I haven't seen uh, and so so yeah so I thought okay I'm going to go with this and so and so then again it, you know, it wasn't my deadline to come up with these things for this meetup and then uh, someone contacted me about speaking at a conference and I said yes and and I said I'm going to talk about Cupid so now that means I not only do I have the acronym, I need to flesh out what I mean, right. why I chose each of those five things. Now spend an hour on it. Now I need to, yeah, exactly. Now I get to actually expand on the ideas. And before you tell us what the acronym is, I'm looking on your blog and at the last thing you say in this, the backstory, you say, I will outline them in the next article, but I don't see the next article. Have you not published yeah. it yet? 
because <laughs> because I said all these things, uh, uh, reality runs away with me. I, 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 I'm very much of the Douglas Adams school of deadlines. Okay. I, I love deadlines. I love the whooshing noise they make. Fair as they go enough. Past. So does it exist anywhere on the internet besides in this show? So, well, so, so I've, 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 I've presented Cupid, um, as a, as an overview, uh, on a couple of conferences okay. now. So, uh, Jax was one and then uh, craft in Hungary or virtual Hungary, um, recently was the, was the second one where I've kind of gone into a bit more detail. Okay. So they are out there in, in the, in the, um, YouTuber sphere, as it were. I'm about halfway through writing the article, but my, my, my plan is this. And, and this, this possibly is an exclusive. I don't know. I don't think I've said this anywhere else, but my plan is I'm, I'm writing the overview article. So, so I'm giving you the backstory. I'm writing the article that says, you know, here they are, CUPID. Here's what they each yeah. of them are. And then my plan is to do a deep dive on each one. Right. Mm-hmm. So there'll be a C article, a U article, and so on. <clears throat> and then the plan is to turn that into a little sort of static okay. website. Continue on with your definitions. <laughs> so, well, so, so then we get to Cupid, and Cupid is this is well. So before we get to Cupid, there's one one more bit of bit of foundation, okay. which is this is I was looking at the idea of principles, and I don't think principles are the way I would describe software. Interesting. So I wanted something else. So, and the very deliberately, I wanted to describe characteristics of software that make it a joy to work with. So I'm coming from a human perspective, from a developer perspective, right? right? I'm looking at code. I've been really lucky in my, in my 30 odd years. I've worked in code bases that were genuinely joyful to work in. You go in there and you know where things are you know how to find stuff someone's yeah you're you're trying to fix a bug in unfamiliar code and it's obvious where Mm -hmm. it is and not only is it obvious where it is it's obvious when you fixed it and it's obvious how to fix it in a way that is sympathetic with the rest of the stuff that's there because it's so consistent and so easy to read and so it's like it's like going into someone else's tidy room right you you want to leave it tidy You know, it goes back to the, the, the Kent Beck kind of broken windows thing. If you always right. leave it tidy, then it stays tidy. So I didn't want proper, I didn't want principles, which are kind of, you know, rules for you to follow. Not suggestions. Uh, right. What I wanted was properties. Yeah, characteristics, properties. Uh, or, and, and the idea of property is more centered. So it's like you can be more of this thing or less of this thing. It's not exclusive. You're not wrong. Right. You just, you know that if you did some more work, you could make it more X. And that's a choice and it's a trade-off. We can work out. I could invest more time making it more of this thing um, or I could move on. So, so then the five things and the five things are, it will become as no surprise, very interrelated because things generally are. So C-U-P-I-D. So C, composable. Uh, I want things, I want code that I can use with other code. Yeah. Right. Okay. It's a really simple request with lots and lots of layers to it. So composable APIs tend to have less going on. You know, they're narrow and they're opinionated and they're consistent mm-hmm. and they're all of that stuff. That makes I'm much more likely to compose something like that into my into my app than, than something that's big and sprawling and does loads of different things. Especially when it's somebody else's code, right? Yes. The fact that yes. it has an intent that it does a particular thing. It's like, I need to do this mm. thing, therefore I want Somebody's already done the work to do it. I'll use that. But I now I'm looking for it to be opinionated, to be focused, to do a thing for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 then, and and, and of course, then when oh, sorry, I'll, I'll come to that in a minute. 
So, um, so composable, but also composable talks about um, the, it, how I get that code. Mm. So if I want to use your narrow opinionated interface, but it has tons and tons of dependencies and lots and lots of transitive dependencies and pulls in half of, you know, .NET Core or whatever, or pulls in half of Maven, uh, uh, thousands of of JAR files, then I'm I'm less in, A, I'm less inclined to want to just pull all of that weight into my my code base, into my own build. But also there's a huge amount of surface area there for accidental complexity mm-hmm. and for accidental um, conflicts and incompatibilities. And uh, one of the very first open source things I ever wrote was, was a thing about EJBs. And I know you, you folks grew up in the, in the, in the happy, <laughs> dot, happy, dot, happy Microsoft world and never came across enterprise Java beans. Honestly, oh, no, we, we did. We, but we all received it as a cautionary tale to others, right? Don't oh, yeah. Let oh, this yeah. happen to yeah. you. Right? Yeah. That's what so we I, <laughs> I actually got thrown into the, I got thrown into the oven by the witch. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you will hear about the house made of, made of candy. I, I was in that oven. Okay. Uh, today I got better. North pie. <laughs> <laughs> nom 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 nom. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 but it was a thing for testing EJBs outside of a, an app container, mm-hmm. and uh, in the same way that you know you didn't need to know about how EJBs work, uh, knowing how an app container works is a lot like understanding the inside of a nuclear silo. So, One of us <clears> quite a lot going on. Understands the inside of a nuclear silo. I'm not saying who it is, Richard. I'm not saying. <laughs> I, I could probably I could draw you two different models okay. if you like. <laughs> nice, nice. So, in which case, then the metaphor is even it's more appropriate. Definitely. Because what you don't want is to have to spin up a nuclear reactor every time you want to run some tests. Right. That's a bit, you know, risky. So instead, I wrote a thing that allowed you to run EJBs outside, test them, test their behavior outside of a container without the nukes. Right. And I was super pleased with this, and I showed my buddy. And he said, that's great. Why has it got Log4J in there? Which is, you know, everyone was using Log4J as their logging, Java logging framework. Right. Well, well, I said, well, because it, it logs stuff. I said, he said, well, okay, but if, if I want to use your thing, I now also have a dependency on Log4J. I'm like, so what? You know, I'm not and? very quick, right? <laughs> and, and your point is, <laughs> and then he said, and this is when the penny started to drop, and he said, now I have a dependency on that version of Log4J. Oh, right. Now I have a dependency on that version of log4j with that static configuration because that's how you happen to configure log4j. And so depending on the order of things loading on the class path, that your logging in your little test framework that I thought would be useful to me is going to stomp all over the very carefully crafted logging config in my main method. Had they never heard of iLogger? Oh. oh. Or oh. was this before? Well, so... Yeah. Obviously, obviously, other logging frameworks are available, but but this is the thing: is that I'd introduce it, and of course, it's it's no work for me at right. all to strip out the half a dozen log messages or to have an i logger. Right? We we, we don't right. we don't say i in in yeah, Java yeah. land. We just use interfaces. Sure. You know, we, we, we think getters and setters too, which I never understood. <laughs> what is this? Oh man, getters and setters! You're back into Java well, beans. I you had see, a, a, yeah. a conversation with my brother who didn't know .NET but knew Java, and I knew .NET not Java. I'm asking him about properties. He goes, "What? What are you talking about? Are you talking about getters and setters?" 
<laughs> I guess I am. Anyway. Yeah, exactly. Something that's so artificial that you need to make up a word <laughs> to mean it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Properties are properties. Getters and setters are just, no, that's just, a, yeah, all kinds of wrong. So, but that, and that's an example. And that's just one level of mm-hmm. transitive dependency. Now, imagine we're in um, uh, JavaScript, ECMAScript world. NPM world. I, I use a tiny little bit of, uh, you know, I use a little bit of your code and suddenly I've got, you know, 700 massive transitive dependencies. They're all just yeah, slumped their way. That's why we can't have nice things. That's why we can't. <laughs> Left pad is why we can't have nice <laughs> yeah, things nice on the internet. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I would like to point out we're better part of 50 minutes into this and we got as far as yes <laughs> 10 minutes left to do UPIND seize the good one honestly you don't need the others seize the good one let's just take After a seat that. <laughs> it, it goes downhill from honestly <laughs> but we have fun let me just do a quick <laughs> so let me, let, me, let me just rattle through the last four and then we can circle back see composable things that play nice with each other and again, this is from a, a programmer perspective. U is Unix philosophy. So this hmm. is things should do one thing and do it well. Sort of like one thing, one thing only like do it well. Responsibility, single responsibility, but not quite. I'm really glad you said that not quite. Why, why, not quite in what way would you say? Well, do one thing and do it well means that you don't have a lot of uh, classes or objects or whatever that are doing the same thing just a little bit differently. Or at you know adding a feature to something you know they should all you know a logger right I to to continue this metaphor a logger should be able to write to a log and should be able to you know maybe to read a log I'm not sure what a logger does but simply writing to a log is doing one thing and doing it well right and and exactly and and um, I think it's a reasonable challenge to say well, how is that different from single mm. responsibility. And again, one of them is outside looking in and one of them is inside looking out. So Mm. SRP is about the code. So it says it has a single reason to change. It's about the structure of the code. Whereas Unix philosophy is about what it does. So it's about being a client of the code. So I can look at the LS command and it lists files. That's all it does. It just lists files. But it lists it any which way you can possibly imagine. LS will do it by timestamp, by inode, reverse, um, uh, uh, recursively. Sure. It can do all kinds of different fun things. So not necessarily simple, but focused. It's very, and very discreet. focused. Exactly. Some jobs are just big, right? Listing everything mm-hmm. you might want to know about a file, it turns out is quite a big ask. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they got one thing to do it, and that's LS. What, one thing that occurred to me as well is this. LS doesn't know about files. Ooh. Interesting. LS doesn't know how to query a file. There's a thing called stat. Stat is the system call that asks files about themselves or any device on a Unix machine or about itself is, is stat and LSTAT. What uh, LS does is it calls stat, gets stuff back from stat, and LS is really a file information formatter. Mm. That's what it really is. Stat right. gets you information about files. It's just really, really, this is a big, complicated, ugly data I structure. I can find a corollary in .NET, hard to make sense which of. is the stream, system IO stream. Now you have file mm-hmm. stream, memory stream, network stream, whatever stream, you know, because we feel like it's stream. 
that all do different things, but they eventually use stream. Right, and, and and I can compose them again. This is a lovely thing about yeah. composability. I can I can get a whole bunch of things pulling in and, and chaining them together. Mm-hmm. And, and and actually, the Unix philosophy is both of those things. It's about one thing and doing it well, and the other part of it, which kind of ties in composability, is that you should assume that the output of one program will be the input mm-hmm. of another. Definitely. So it kind of has this idea of piping or chaining kind of baked into its yep. philosophy, and and and. I, regardless of anything that might come after CNU, if you've got composability and things that do one thing, you can basically build anything. It also implies simplicity, right? Because you don't yes. want to have code now. that's completely cyclomatically complex and has a thousand lines of code in one method, etc. Right. And isn't it lovely that simplicity is a consequence of yeah. this? So you don't start with simplicity, you start with composability. Mm. And the more you make, so, and this is what I was saying, Rich, about the um, uh, properties and the towards thing is I can look at some code and I can say, okay, this is nice code. I'm finding this code nice to use. How could I make it more composable? Right. Right. Are there dependencies that I could shed that makes it more, you know, le- less, less of a, a risk to adopt? Yeah. It, are there, are there things on the side that I could just shave away a bit because I could make it, you know, easy again, smaller? And then when I look at the Unix principle, the, the do one thing, you know, it, given that I've got this bit of code that does X, does it do X comprehensively enough to be useful? Right. Or uh, if you want to do X, are you going to want this and a bunch of mm-hmm. other things? In which case I just made your life complicated because mm-hmm. I'm only solving half your problem. Okay. You know, and, and so, and so, and, 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 and there's, and there's going to be tensions here, right? So yeah. doing one thing well doesn't necessarily mean kitchen sink. It might mean being really opinionated. So again, if you look at the Google Docs versus Microsoft Word thing, mm-hmm. right? Microsoft Word does word processing arguably well. There isn't a thing I can imagine that you could ever want in word processing that Word doesn't do. However, that makes it really, really hard to do stuff with. Right, because you have more options, Whereas, you have more more buttons, more levers. Degrees of freedom, dependencies, right. yeah. all kinds of stuff. You know, basically yeah, attack surface area well. for viruses. <laughs> Yeah. Word does not allow two people to work on a document at the same time well. No, no, exactly. I I love your use of well at the end there, right? Because because boy, have I tried. And can I just throw in for extra measure on a Mac? Yeah. Because (laughs) because I hadn't hit myself in the head hard enough yet. So let's throw another variable into the Uh, All right, P Dan, P. What's P? P. So uh, so we've got composable, we've got Unix like uh, Unix philosophy. Uh, <laughs> we've got uh, P is predictable so I want code that is predictable and again from a user right. perspective from a consumer perspective and I think of predictable as a generalization of what people call testable Yeah. Mm-hmm. so Kent Beck will talk about passes all the tests I'm like that's great when you've got tests yeah. and, and anyway good well, and exactly. And anyway, typically when you've got what Kent would call tests, what you actually have is the code examples that guided you to your original solution, which is right. probably a handful of things that aren't particularly comprehensive Name tests. It. They're just some guideposts. is one place where predictability can really help. You don't know the name of that call, but based on the convention that we've been using with all of the other method names, I can guess that it's going to be something like this. And oh, my IntelliSense says I was right. You're going to love I. Okay. 
<laughs> no, you're absolutely right, and and there, there's a lot of there's a lot to serendipitous programming. Yeah. I remember having this exact moment where it was um, it's in Java. It was a I was doing a bunch of enterprise Java stuff. I spent a lot of years doing that. And I was about to write something to do all of the crappy boilerplate around connecting to a database and running a query, right? Because you've got to look up a thing called a yeah. data source. And from that, you've got to get a connection. And from that, you've got to get a statement, a prepared statement, which you have to prepare. And from that, you then get a query. And then you get a result set. And, da -da 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 -da. and every single step of that can fail. So every single step of that is wrapped with a try, 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 yep. try. And then it's just, it's just basically you've got this page of noise and like, you know, and select. by the way, plumbing code <laughs> that has nothing to do with the end result of what the application actually delivers in terms of value for the customer. That's not what you want to be doing. Right. Right. It's not what you want to be doing. But I figured, again, you, right? I figured I, I, I'm going to do this once because then on our, at least on our code base, at least in our project, anyone else can just write yeah. SQL. And just do queries and use my query a builder impl, right? And and not have to worry about any of that topping sure. and tailing. So I type in, you know, uh, data source wrapper something something, and it, IntelliJ popped up and said, "What do you mean this one from?" Uh, I was like, "I don't know. Let me see <laughs> from an open source <laughs> thing we were using." And I, and I and I navigate to the code and it shows me the code and I'm like, I'm looking at the code I was about to write. <laughs> I'm looking at pages and pages of the code I was about to write, but with better error handling than I was going to do. Right. <laughs> wow. Bring the back. I'm going to use that. I'm going to use yeah. uh, just serendipitous programming is mm. joyful. Yeah. So be predictable is I want it to be predictable in terms of what it does. Um, it also means repeatability, right? So when, when, when I run it several times, it keeps on doing that thing. It doesn't just sometimes not mm -hmm. do it or sometimes do it in a different order. But also predictability is about runtime characteristics. So things like performance, things like how quickly it does things, things like um, a resource utilization, yeah. things like memory yeah. peaks and IO peaks and that kind of stuff. If, if I have something that is predictable, I'm much more, I feel much more confident, much more safe introducing that thing into my very, very carefully protected and curated. All right. Base. So that's the end of the show. Right. And uh, thanks for watching and listening. And in part two, we'll go long. We want to hear this. If, when we come back. So that's P predictable. So predictable in terms of what it does, behavior, predictable in terms of how mm. it works, uh, runtime mm. characteristics. I then is idiomatic. Mm. Code that is idiomatic, code that adheres to the conventions of, uh, and, and you, this is something that we've super familiar to you folks. It's not just the language itself and the libraries. It's the ecosystem. It's the culture. It's the mm -hmm. community. It's, it's the norms within that. If your code is how I would expect to see anyone else's code, I'm like, oh, right. This looks really, this immediately looks like right. something I know. There's a huge amount of cognitive load. And, I, and I'll tell you, actually, when I come to the code, trepidation mm. that goes away. I was expecting to do that big sigh that I usually do when I look at someone else's mm. code. 
And then that big double sigh when I scroll to the top and just look at the person who wrote it and it's me. (laughs) 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 What idiot wrote, oh, uh, me six months ago. Oh, man, I was was such a bad programmer six months ago. (laughs) (laughs) I've I've had those experiences where you jump on a project and – uh, you know, they expect you to adhere to their conventions and their conventions are completely not what you have been doing. Let's just take casing, for example, right. you know, uh, camel cased with an underscore for, you know, for things that are passed to an API or maybe managers or whatever, uh, camel casing, Pascal casing for method, uh, parameters, all of those things that you do. And then they've, completely expect you on day one to just throw all that away and do, do it our way. Yeah. 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 Well, and so, and, and so that, and that's the second part is you have the idioms from like mm-hmm. the world, if you like, and then we have the idioms here. Mm-hmm. And often the idioms here are unwritten or at least undocumented. You know, I can look in the code and I can see that consistently across the place, you're doing something that no one in their right mind would do. Yeah. But you're all doing it. So, right. <laughs> so we'll go with that. Um, <clears throat> there's a lovely phrase that, that Sam Newman, well, I, I attribute it to Sam Newman. He may not remember saying it, but he said, uh, I would rather things were, in, were, were consistently wrong than inconsistently anything. <laughs> well, because there's nothing you could do with inconsistency. Nothing matters. No. Then. Like, and it's and it's, more, again, it's cognitive load. Anything I learn yeah. over here, I, is, I cannot assume over here. Right. Right. So I'm continually just churning and churning and doing work just to figure out what you did. So that doesn't mean that things that, you know, once a decision is made, once something is idiomatic, it never, ever changes. It means you need to have a very deliberate uh, strategy around changing those things. So let's say that we're going to move from, uh, I know, JavaScript frameworks, right? Because that, that's, that's a thing that changes that has a half-life of about 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and you go in there and, and this team is using Angular and they're using Angular 1, but they're using Angular 1 from before they did the thing with the thing that made that thing easier or right. whatever it might be. And you're on Angular 247 um, and therefore... Well, but, <laughs> min, min, minutes since last JavaScript framework. <laughs> Bing! Zero. <laughs> um, admittedly, it is it is June twenty second, and they are on Angular eleven. Really? Yes. Well, that's because eleven is Angular, oh. isn't it? It's kind of pointy. Actually, it's not. It's not. It's perpendicular. It's it's, it's the only one that isn't <laughs> it's <not> Angular. <laughs> the least Angular of the Angular. That's, oh. that, that's, that's where they went wrong. At least with two, it's going to come back and you know intersect at some point, isn't it? Okay, here we go. <laughs> so, no, I apologize. Oh, All right. So no, I, you know, it's, I, I'm just sad that the people on the project don't know how to spell angrier. <laughs> <laughs> okay. How angry uh, are you? I'm angrier eleven. <laughs> are we at D yet? <laughs> What's your What's your level? What's your what's your level? Uh, so, so yeah. So it may be that we decide that we do want to move to something else. Mm-hmm. Now we don't down tools and shift everything, right? That's that's a really good way to just let the whole world overtake you. Right. But also, we don't just do kind of patchwork bits and bobs. Instead, we 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 we're deliberate. We're deliberate about shifting our idiom. So we might say, okay, any new code is going to use. Blah is going to use Vue or React or whatever our favorite thing is this week. 
or I don't know, HTML. Let's just put it out there. Crazy talk. (laughs) I know, it's crazy talk. That's the thing with people who only use HTML, they have no style. Crazy talk. Sorry. So, so, so we're going to shift framework. Any new code uses, uses the new, Mm. the new thing. Any old code, when I go in to modify it, we will also migrate it. So that means there's an additional cost that we're going to be carrying for Mm. a while while we migrate. And that's fine. We just bake that in. We factor that into the work we're doing. And we say that is a, that is a cost of, of maintenance of, of code debt of whatever your favorite metaphor is. And then we might then have a cutoff. We might say after, you know, X period of time, this is quite a common story. After X period of time, anything that's left, we're then just going to hit that. We're going to have a little SWAT team that goes off and just does that. Or people pick mm-hmm. that up as a chore over the next couple of months or whatever it is. And so, so you, you know, you shift things along, but that becomes part of your, uh, ways of working, part of your development strategy and your architecture strategy is, and I'm a huge fan of ADLs, architecture decision records to capture those sorts of decisions. You know, we're shifting from this to this. This is how we're going to do it. This is how we're going to hold, keep ourselves honest, mm-hmm. all of that. So idiomatic code. And, and the thing I always say about idiomatic code is you can only write idiomatic code if you learn the idioms. It makes sense. Right? right. You need to do the work. Mm-hmm. And the, the thing about, well, I'm not going to do it like this because that's not how I did it at my last place. Well, <laughs> I've got some news for you. Yeah, it's becoming very <laughs> obvious that these are not principles because if they were principles, you would say use this idiom instead of that idiom. And what you're saying is be right, idiomatic. Right. And that's exactly it. Yeah. Yeah, I get it. It's not. It's 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 saying that I can look at code, and again, for each of these CUPID, for each of these things, think of it like an overlay. I can I can overlay this on my code, and I can say, how can I make my code more predictable? How can I make my code more idiomatic? How can I make my code more uh, doing one thing? So I'm taking a D is not dogmatic. D is D is dictatorial. You'll do it my way because I said so. D is actually Daniel. Is is there's only one way to code, and it's how I code. Um, I my, love you, man. My acronym, my name. There you go. And we're done. Uh, no, D is D, uh, and, uh, and again, um, I think Carl's going to love this. D is domain okay, based. Yeah. Hmm. So this is where we're naming sure. things. Okay, and, and we're choosing to name things for hmm. the domain. We're choosing to use vocabulary that is familiar to the people who are operating this software as well as people who are writing this software. Mm-hmm. And the, the bar I use is it should be familiar if you, if you understand the domain. So if you come in completely cold and we're working on a uh, vehicle engine management mm-hmm. system and, and there might be a whole bunch of different timers with super technical names, and you go, oh, I, I don't understand those super technical names. You know, we need simpler names. Well, no, no, you need to understand how the various different timing yeah. elements of a, of a modern mm-hmm. engine work, right? Because that's what this code does. <laughs> yeah, and the <laughs> and, people and, who use it every day care about those things. Right, and, and if we've got the code right, the act of understanding how a modern engine does timing and the act of understanding what this code does are the same thing. Mm-hmm. They collapse into the same space if we're getting the domain modeling right. Yeah. But the reason I called it domain based rather than domain driven is there's something else that I see in code bases and it really rankles. It's a real personal thing. And, and I, when it's done well, it's glorious. It's joyful. And when it's not, it's really frustrating is the structure of the code. 
So, and Rails is probably the worst offender for this, yeah. only because it was the most popular framework, right, for a bunch of time. So there's tons and tons of code bases out there. There's a hilarious correlation causation thing about people saying, you know, which, which open source frameworks have, have led to the most uh, unicorns. <laughs> you know, therefore, if you use, you know, Ruby on Rails or if you use you're, you're uh, Django or whatever, successful, right? you'll be wildly successful. And, and no, it's just let's yeah. look at when those, when those uh, frameworks were at their peak. Oh, about eight years ago, mm-hmm. when all of these all of these unicorns were being founded, and now look, right. they're all worth all this money. Eight years later, what, well, what's are. being used? <laughs> <laughs> Fairly sure, if you jump into an eight-year-old thing now, as opposed to yeah. whatever's this useful is not now, a strategy. etc. So, <clears throat> but but what they have is this: is they say, right, well, our framework has models and views and controllers, and 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 so therefore, all of your code should be in a directory called models and another folder called uh, views, another one called controllers, and then my favorite is another one called utils. And another one called right. Helpers, of course. right? And now I want to change the payments process, right? Payment to user flow is changing. We need to add some fraud checks. Where do I look? Spoiler, yep. everywhere. Right? Everywhere all at once. <laughs> I don't know where to look. There's a Conway's Law aspect to this too, right? That Absolutely. How you organize this is how it will turn out. Like the yes. organization will, the, the, the software reflects the organization. Well, well, yes and no. So, 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 so Conway's, Conway's law thing is a two things. The first thing is it's, it, it's only really presents at scale. So it's right. more about how the organization is structured and the kind of enterprise architecture mm-hmm. is structured. Mm-hmm. And the other part, which I didn't, it took me a long time to land that it, it's, a, it's, it's in the definition, but it's like really easy to miss is communication. It's not how the organization is structured. It's how communication flows in how the organization. Within it. Right. So typically it flows along the seams, right? So if you're hierarchical, it flows down the hierarchy, but it may mm-hmm. not, right? It may be a hierarchical organization with a really, really good gossip culture, right? right? Really, really good informal network. It flows down like a two story outhouse. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so that's what the code's going to look like. There's loads and yeah. loads of backdoor stuff and working around uh, things and, and all that uh. kind of shenanigans. So. If instead there's a payments folder or a payments uh, package, right, module component, and within the payments component is the payments model and the payments view, the payments controller, the payment, any kind of util functions that are to do with payments, then when I want to go and change the payment flow to introduce fraud checking, guess where I go? (laughs) I go where the domain-based code tells me it's over here. Anything you're interested in is over here. Nothing to see here. I guess what you're also saying is when you're naming things, you know, name them according to the domain. Don't name them, you know, abstract software ideas like repository and, you know, call it a payment saver. Yes and no. <laughs> hmm. what, what, what you tend to have, and this is, this is, again, this is where domain-driven design gets quite subtle, is, um, and, and I think Eric Evans made a mistake by talking about a ubiquitous language. Right. Because hmm. when you read the second half of the book, where he gets into all the kind of uh, the architectural patterns, which I think is the real gold of domain-driven design, is the idea of bounded contexts and subdomains and vocabulary within subdomains. So let's say that I have my engine management system. I, I have no idea why I chose that domain. I know nothing about 
right. <laughs> car engines. Uh, I'm hoping that, that Carl used to work there or something. Nope, not me. <laughs> He's going to jump in and I'm help just me a out. Dumb musician. Um, <laughs> so, so imagine we're writing some music software. No, don't, don't, don't do that because he'll, he'll eat you for lunch. Uh, so, but in, in that code base, then I'm going to have code that deals with engine circuitry and engine timing and engine components and, and, and health and whatever. Uh, there's also going to be parts of that code base that are sending messages. And when they're sending messages, what I want, I want to see the vocabulary of message sending. So there's another right. subdomain within my code base, within my engine monitoring system, which is about sending messages to other components. Mm-hmm. And there I want to see a subscriber, publisher, mm-hmm. sender, retry, exponential yeah. back off, language that if I'm used to the, the, the domain of enterprise event modeling, you know, the Gregor Hope kind of stuff, that someone else who's also familiar with the domain of enterprise event modeling used words that are going to be universally mm-hmm. familiar rather than have things that genuinely are exactly those things, but they use their own made up names. Right. right. And this and goes back to idiomatic saving again. time too, right? Like you'll know what to do. You'll recognize this stuff. Exactly. And, and it, it, it's priming, it's priming and it's queuing. Yeah. And I look at it and um, Don Norman calls these affordances. You see clues in the thing you're looking at that say, this is how you use right. me. Right. So if I see the word repository, if, if the thing you do is store stuff and get it back, I yeah. love you. If you <laughs> say repository and really you're a cache. <laughs> yeah. And so I put not stuff so in you and sometimes that you're just not there when I look <laughs> a yeah. few milliseconds later. I'm in for a surprise, right? I'm in for a yeah, world okay. of hurt. And a world of null, null reference exceptions. So, 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 so not just using familiar names, but using names correctly. (laughs) Yeah. It is, and this goes back to idiomatic and you see how these things are intertwined. Or at least use an unfamiliar name. Like if you use a familiar name and use it wrong, you're literally misleading people. Like you're back to that inconsistency problem. I'd rather it's an obviously made up name. If it's yes. obviously so made up name, I'm in with a chance. Ask. Yeah. <laughs> give me a cue to ask, what the heck is that? As opposed to yeah. trying to de- you know, decode. This says this oh, and no. does something You need else. the lawnmower object. <laughs> what the? <laughs> From the hack <Absolutely>. repository. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, we are way over time. <laughs> Sorry, Carl. I just want, just want to circle around on that one, 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 one more. Okay. <laughs> what <laughs> since, since we're being hung for a lamb? Uh, <laughs> now let's circle around that one more time. Which is, and this again is a brilliant hack for that kind of um, unidiomatic or undomain thing. Is to use words like yeah. thingy, mm-hmm. where you know you don't know. Right. I know yeah. I don't know what the name is for this yet, and I want it to leave a massive obvious flag that says so, someone's going to need to come back and give this a right. much better name who probably knows more about this domain than me. So right now it's the lawnmower thingy. Thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Leave it hanging there. So it's it's actually clear. It's clear that it's misnamed. Right. Yes. Doohickey. As opposed to deceptively named. Carl, Carl, Carl take yeah. us home, Carl. I'm going to do the outro doohickey now. Yeah. <laughs> It's like a thing you only So, uh, Dan, thank you very <laughs> much for this completely informational and enjoyable discussion for the last hour and 16 minutes and 35 seconds. Thank you so much. And, God, we want to have you back every week. 
don't we, Richard? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been too long, man. Way too long. Thank you, gentlemen. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed myself, as I always do. Yeah. And I think we'll all be together in the fall in D.C., I bet. That would be wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have some fun, I'm sure. All right. We'll see you. Thanks again, Dan. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a-